You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A cyber attack is reported at the UN with agency data apparently lost to parties and parts unknown. The bears are quieter, but the privateers are up and at them. DDoS hits Yandex. Cyber espionage using the sidewalk backdoor. Team TNT is getting tougher to detect. A SWOT analysis of the newly reconstituted Alpha Bay contraband market. The Groove Gang is a New Age criminal affiliate program. Caleb Barlow describes attackers leveraging U.S. and European infrastructure to hide in plain sight. Our guest is Brad Thies of Bar Advisory on what the next five years may have in store for cloud security. And irritate your online chums for just 50 bucks a pop. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, September 9th, 2021. The United Nations has sustained a cyber attack by unknown actors. Bloomberg reports that earlier this year, stolen employee credentials, probably purchased online in a criminal forum, were used to gain access to U.N. networks. The credentials were for the U.N.'s proprietary project management software, Umoja. The attackers were able to pivot from there to other places in the network. In the course of the attack, the threat actor obtained data that could be used to target United Nations agencies. The intrusion was detected by the cybersecurity firm ReSecurity. Bloomberg quotes Gene Yu, ReSecurity's CEO, that, quote, Organizations like the UN are a high-value target for cyber espionage activity. The actor conducted the intrusion with the goal of compromising large numbers of users within the UN network for further long-term intelligence gathering, end quote. Bloomberg reports that U.N. credentials were being sold as part of a patch of dozens of usernames and passwords to various organizations for just $1,000, sourcing the information to security firm Intel 471, which notes that various Russophone cyber criminals have offered the material for sale. Intel 471's CEO Mark Arena told Bloomberg, quote, since the start of 2021, we've seen multiple financially motivated cyber criminals selling access to the Umoja system run by the United Nations. These actors were selling a broad range of compromised credentials from a multitude of organizations at the same time. In a number of previous occasions, we've seen compromised credentials being sold to other cyber criminals who have undertaken follow-up intrusion activity within these organizations. End quote. 
CrowdStrike's threat-hunting report out yesterday notes that cyber attacks that can be directly and unambiguously attributed to Russian state actors have declined this year, especially when contrasted with the vigorous activities shown by China, Iran, and North Korea, while Russian-speaking cybercriminal activity remains prominent. A certain level of state-run cyber operations continues, but the Russian services' targets have shifted, moving away from commercial organizations and toward think tanks, dissidents, and journalists. Presumably, the commercial targets can be left to the privateers, who provide a fig leaf to cover national interest and state policy. Also noteworthy are the number of attacks that look like state-run operations, but that can't be clearly attributed. Those two are on the rise, whoever's behind them. Earlier this week, financial services networks in New Zealand were subjected to large and moderately disruptive distributed denial-of-service attacks, from which they've now largely recovered. But another large DDoS incident has hit a major Russian firm. Yandex is the latest big commercial organization to sustain a major distributed denial-of-service incident, Reuters reports. The Russian multinational tech firm says it successfully parried the attack. Researchers at Broadcom's Symantec unit attribute the campaign using the sidewalk malware ESET described late last month to the Chinese Greyfly Cyber Espionage Group. Sidewalk is a modular backdoor that's recently been used against telecom providers. Greyfly is also known as Wicked Panda or APT-41. The recent targets have been in Taiwan, Vietnam, Mexico, and the United States. In addition to hitting telecommunications, Greyfly has used the sidewalk backdoor against targets in the IT, media, and financial services sectors. AT&T Alien Labs finds that the criminal group Team TNT is using a difficult-to-detect version of Chimera in a campaign of credential theft and cryptojacking. Team TNT is using Chimera in a number of environments, including Windows and various Linux distributions. The group is also infesting Kubernetes instances, and Alien Labs recommends that defenders pay particular attention to hardening Kubernetes. Digital Shadows subjects the revived version of the contraband market Alphabay to analysis and concludes that while there's an underworld opportunity for a revival, the latest edition may have trouble building on the original marketplace's street cred. Potential users suspect the new Alphabay's admin may be compromised and they mistrust the absence of exit scam protection. Digital Shadows presents their findings in the form of a SWOT analysis, a summary of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats familiar to those in the business world. To summarize, the strengths include street credibility, since hoods have heard of and probably remember Alphabay, new features, many of which are designed for better security, including an ability to withdraw funds should servers be seized by the police, and new rules to avoid unwanted attention. It's like Fight Club. Don't talk about it, don't mention ransomware, and don't woof about recruiting new members. The weaknesses include the possibility, the suspicion, that the new admin, whose hacker name is DeSnake, has already been compromised and could even be a provocateur. There's also the track record, Criminal comebacks are rarely successful. They're like Hollywood sequels. Have Sharknado 2 through 10 really lived up to the artistic standards of the original? We don't think so either. 
although Robert Herjavec's cameo in Sharknado 4 did give us hope for the future. And the user base will be slow to grow because of what Digital Shadows calls a mix of skepticism and traditional criminal reluctance. All those new square rules will also be a downer. Finally, there's no exit scam protection. That was a big problem with Alpha Bay version 1, and there's no sign it's been addressed in version 2. There are also opportunities. The new Alpha Bay offers the prospect of reuniting the community, that is, the criminal community, under one roof. People like to buy their contraband in one big convenient market, and they miss that. There may also be an untapped market, particularly a market for cybercriminal tools. The old Alpha Bay was heavily into illicit drugs, and its successor still is. But there are opportunities elsewhere. And, of course, there are the threats. Mr. DeSnake's reputation is, as they say, fragile. Law enforcement remains a perennial threat, and the authorities have upped their enforcement game since they took apart the original Alpha Bay. And in the end, there's plenty of competition in the C2C market. They're unlikely to roll over with all four paws in the air. We'll watch Alpha Bay's progress with interest. If they start selling Sharknado 7... We might even consider becoming a customer. We're kidding, of course. About Alpha Bay, not Sharknado 7. Zoho has patched its Manage Engine AD Self-Service Plus against an authentication bypass vulnerability that's currently being exploited in the wild. CISA urges users to apply the fix. Researchers at McAfee and Intel 471 jointly describe a shakeup in the criminal-to-criminal ransomware affiliate market being led by the Groove Gang, whereas earlier ransomware-as-a-service programs had prioritized control over the code and a systematically hierarchical organization of the affiliates, the Groove Gang is proving more fluid and opportunistic. It prizes not the affiliate's skills, but simply their networks. And last but not least, Avast describes a new underworld offering, Instagram bans as a service. If you're too dull or lazy to irritate people yourself, you can outsource the harassment for as little as 50 bucks, U.S. What does this say about the quality of temptation nowadays? As Baudelaire put it a century and a half ago, you know this delicate monster, it's ennui. Or as a prominent recent U.S. president would tweet it, sad. We're confident that Baudelaire wouldn't have been on Alpha Bay. Now, Verlaine or Rambo? Well, maybe. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta, Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber.
In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Brad Thies is founder and president of Bar Advisory, a security and compliance firm with specific expertise in cloud computing. I caught up with Brad Thies recently for his insights on the challenges and opportunities of the continuing migration to the cloud. The pros are it reduces cost, increases agility and elastic, you know, elasticity. There's it's DevOps friendly, um, and you you do have improved uptime. You know so. Security is also reliability. If you have security and reliability, I think those go hand in hand. And so those those are the improvements of just the resiliency of of pushing data into the cloud. Um, I, you know, personally, uh, being in the cybersecurity space, I think you are more secure as you push information into a cloud environment. So it, I don't think it's really the the cloud that's insecure. I think it's an education piece of some of those traditional. Um, lenses of cybersecurity in the perimeter um, don't really hold itself uh, true in the cloud environment. So it's more of a fear of the unknown of as I'm pushing information into this more public cloud adoption, um, you know, what should I be doing differently? You know, I, I think it's it's easy to focus on some of the high-profile data breaches that we see that I think are associated with the cloud. You know, someone leaves uh, an AWS bucket wide open for the world to see um, is that, uh, I guess, to what degree is that still a serious ongoing problem uh, rel- relative to the amount of attention it gets is, is, is I guess, where I'm getting at. Is the, are the tools and practices in place that we're heading towards a, a time when that particular sort of thing is a thing of the past? Well, that's where the tooling comes in. And, and so, you know, if you look at it from a, yeah, you hear these these fear things that happen on on oh my S three bucket was exposed to the internet. That's going to happen all the time, but but that goes back to um, the human element, and it's a mind shift in security. It's everybody's responsibility. You can't just think from a centralized view of of cybersecurity. Same same concept of of the analogy of a. I'll use the car analogy. You know, you have it's not just one person's responsibility, not, not just the safety and reliability expert. The seats have to be designed to handle a car crash. Windshields have to crack safely or shatter, not shatter when it, a rock hits, headlights, seatbelt integrity, et cetera. 
it's everybody's responsibility. And so looking at the tooling, going back to the tooling uh, factor, um, that's just getting into visibility. And so that's where I think we'll see more proliferation of cloud uh, CASBs or cloud service access brokers um, that gives you some of that visibility into open open S3 buckets um, all the way to more security and compliance automation platforms that start to automate some of these testing and starts to give us a little bit um, greater visibility in what's going on in our environment to allow, I think, from a board level and executive level and, and cybersecurity expert level, greater focus on how quickly our threat models are evolving over time by pushing data into a cloud. Do you suppose that this is enabling a lot more people to have a higher level of security than they would otherwise have? You know, sort of by taking it out of their hands, it's uh, protecting them against the things they don't even know they should know. Yeah, because, because it, again, it, you can't centralize security. And yes, you can put a culture in place, but those that decentralization of it, even though we talked about earlier with the cloud being that centralized aspect, it's enabling more of this decentralized view of how we protect the internet and getting to those more decentralized architectures and um, allows us to feel more safe because you, you have um, smaller teams being able to push changes more quickly versus the traditional way of everything has to go through a change advisory board or a cab. And that old model doesn't work well because you can't assume that some centralized authority has every bit of understanding that maybe some of these smaller team sets might have and more intimately um, as they're looking at, at it from a cybersecurity lens. That's Brad Thies from Bar Advisory. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Caleb Barlow. He is the CEO at Synergistech. Caleb, always great to have you back. You know, we've been seeing some attackers who've been leveraging infrastructure in both the U.S. and in Europe kind of hiding out in plain sight. I, I wanted to get your take on this. What's going on here? Well, you, you know, I, I mean, you and I both have had young kids, Dave, and, you know, when the kid was always scared that there was a monster like in the attic or whatever. In, in this case, the monster mm-hmm. is indeed under the bed. Right. It's it's really close. And they've realized that hiding under the bed is a better place than hiding in another country. And there's a couple of reasons why, which is we've built legislation to protect them if they hide under the bed and hide in our own Mm. backyard. Right. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a great example of where GDPR just goes sideways. Right. So, you know, if a bad guy in, takes over systems inside of Europe, and usually they'll choose infrastructure in Germany, a company cannot easily go in and deploy security solutions because those security solutions have privacy ramifications. So they actually have to get permission from a works council to go deploy things like EDR. I've literally seen it happen where you've got a server that you are pretty sure is infiltrated. And it's going to take a month or two to get EDR on it, where in most environments, you go deploy it in the next hour, right? Because you've hmm. got to get permission because that tool can gather data. And the bad guys know this. Literally, hmm. they're sitting there going, oh, okay, you found us. Great. It's going to take you 30 to 60 days before you can get rid of us. So we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. 
Um, I, I think also in the case of, you know, if we look at SolarWinds, if we look at the Microsoft Exchange breach, you know, granted, these examples also came kind of with that Trojan horse method of getting inside companies, but they also gave adversaries, you know, environments in which to operate inside the U.S. where intelligence agencies are less likely to look at them. Law enforcement has to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to get there. I mean, if you're, let's say, the FBI and you need to go get a search warrant on a particular server or server farm, it could take weeks to months to be able to execute on that search warrant. And the bad guys are starting to realize this. There's protection in hiding under the bed. Hmm. What's the solution here? I mean, is this is this a, a matter of uh, proper legislation or rolling back regulations? What, what, what direction do you think we should come at this from? Well, I mean, there's two pieces of this, right? One is we've all got to realize that, like every, we talk about this all the time, we've, we've got to actually pay attention to our defenses and realize that a strong defense not only protects our own organization, but protects us from becoming the beachhead to attack somebody else. But the second piece of this is we really do need to look at our legislation to allow capabilities for information security and to ensure that we're protected. And the place we often run awry with this is privacy, right? But here's the point. You cannot have good privacy without having good security. You can have really great security and have really lousy privacy. And we have to keep that in mind, right? Our privacy regulations cannot be built and done in a vacuum. We have to recognize that they need to have the corresponding security component, not only to ensure defense, but also to allow proper security research along the way. Is there anybody doing this right? I mean, if we compare ourselves to the Europeans with GDPR, are they in better shape than we are? No, actually, and I've said this many times before, I actually believe that GDPR has caused some of the biggest security failures for a variety of reasons. One, it gives the bad guys a place to hide out. But the second thing is that GDPR really took away our ability to access DNS records, uh, which is mm. one of the primary tools for security investigations. And you know what's unfortunate is this, this issue has been well publicized, but nobody's fixed it yet because it's a different swim lane. So, you know, honestly, Dave, I don't really think anybody's doing this right yet, but I do have hope because I think people are starting to realize that this is a problem and we have to enable legitimate security researchers and law enforcement to do their job. All right. Well, Caleb Barlow, thanks for joining us. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.